this is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hey there, Hopheads, it's Nick Law here. What are you drinking today? After a recent foray into Imperial Stouts and other big-ass boozy beers over Christmas through those long, dark winter months, I've taken back to drinking some nice hoppy pale ales. Um, Now, if you look at the beer markets and the shelves, there's absolutely no doubt in anyone's mind that hops are indeed the star of the show. Uh, But have you ever really considered where they come from? I mean, I think we all know how hops are grown, and or at least I'd hope you know how hops are grown, or even what hops are. Um, but I wanted to delve a little deeper into the infrastructure and process behind hop farming. So I reached out to Will from Brookhouse Hops, a farm in Herefordshire, to find out all about growing hop varieties. And because we all like a little bit of politics with our India Pale Ale, uh, we chat a little bit about Brexit and the implications on hop farming and the possible effects on the supply chain. So if you want to know all about hops, stay tuned for this interview with Will from Brookhouse Hops. Uh, before we dive in, uh, make sure you check out the website, hopforward.beer, and follow us on all the social media gubbins, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and subscribe to the podcast through Apple Music, Spotify, and anywhere else that does a good old podcast. We love podcasts. This is our interview with Will from Brookhouse Hops. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Will Kirby from Brookhouse Hops, based in Herefordshire. How's it going, Will? Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's quite quiet on the farm in the winter, but um, no, it's, it's good to be on the show. I was going to say, uh, hoppy new year. <laughs> oh, yes. Now we've begun. <laughs> The, the team loves their puns here, oh, so mate, you're talking yeah. to the, the the king of puns. So, um, yeah. why, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Brookhouse Hops and the farm and what you guys are up to? So yeah, this um, we're on Brookhouse Farm, which is in northeast Herefordshire, um, about half an hour west of um, the M5, about an hour south of Birmingham. And we, um, it used to be quite a famous, quite a big hop farm back in the 50s 60s 70s and then a lot of hops in the uk were taken out we used to be one of the three biggest hop growing countries in the world along with the the us and germany and this farm the hops were taken out back then too but um my wife and i moved here four years ago now and Mm -hmm. we decided to start putting hops back in so we've been working really hard we managed to pull together a good team of people with long history of hop growing in their families with a lot of deep expertise, find some good mentors and we, we've planted it back up with some English hop varieties and a few American hop varieties and we, we've started selling them e- even more recently over the last year or so. We started trying to build connections with brewers and we're, we're selling them both our own hops and hops which we've uh, we found from abroad. Yeah, so uh, what, what did you do before? you started the farm and planting hops um well i um i lived in london um i did various different things i started off as a management consultant but didn't enjoy that very much it was a bit flaky i suppose so i um 
worked in the city. I worked uh, for hedge funds doing as an analyst for quite a while. And then I worked in venture capital trying to find the next Facebook. And uh, I, I don't know, I, I doubt any of the companies will turn into Facebook, but I'm very proud of them all the same. We'll see what happens. <laughs> and um, my wife and I, we had a young family and you know, London's not not ideal for that stage in your life, I don't think. So we we decided to move up here. Great. Um, yeah, talk us through the process of planting and cultivating hops for brewing. What are some of the challenges that farmers face growing and breeding hop varieties? What sort of factors determine what kind of hops can be grown out of the soil in a particular region? Because I know in wine it's called terroir, isn't it? Um, but I guess hops have a similar kind of quality. Yeah, you, you can certainly tell a, a lot of the hops that we associate with different areas. So I guess Fuggles and Goldings are the quintessential English hops and maybe Cascade, Centennial are the um, key American hops. Those hops were bred for those environments, but, but increasingly um, you're finding that those hops are taken from those areas and they're, they're grown elsewhere. So here on this farm, we grow Cascade, Chinook, and Cent- we did grow Centennial. Um, they've planted quite a bit of Amarillo in Germany right now. Right. And the U.S. still grows a fair bit of um, Fuggles and Goldings themselves. Um, and you get we, what we found is you get slightly different flavors. So U.K. Cascade is perhaps a bit more subtle, a bit more complex. It doesn't have the, the piney punchiness that you'd associate with, you know, Sierra Nevada, I yeah, guess, yeah. is the sick Cascade beer. So I, I guess that's why breeds like US Chinooks are slightly different from English and New Zealand because of the um, the soil, basically. Yeah, the soil and, and the climate. Um, it's a fair bit cooler here in the summer than, than it is in the Pacific Northwest. And then the amount of sunshine, I think, has an effect. So our temperatures are similar to New Zealand. Yep. But the sun is a lot brighter there, which means that their, their apples are perhaps a bit sweeter and but then there aren't many of the new zealand hop varieties which have ever been grown in other countries so mm. that's a mystery which, which still needs um unraveling or, or needs more tests yeah. I guess. so like how does the weather affect growing hops obviously you touched a, a little bit on it there um with with the sun and everything but like for growing and harvesting and and ultimately the supply and demand chain um like last year we saw one of the hottest summers on record which um obviously with a lot of evidence pointing towards climate change surely you know this is gonna have like a detrimental effect on hop cultivation um you know how how does the weather affect hops Uh, yeah the the weather is key particularly for when you're planning certain tasks in the field like the hops need need to be treated for for pests and for fungus and if it's raining it's very hard to make sure that you're responsibly providing them with the protection that they need. Um, the weather last summer was extremely challenging in the UK. Almost all the hops in, in the States and increase, more and more of the hops in Germany are irrigated. And the UK, we've traditionally grown hops on deeper soil, which hasn't needed irrigation so much. But I guess last year was a year in which those farmers which did irrigate uh, reaped some of the benefits of that. Yeah. I was talking to a director of a large regional brewery uh, a couple of years ago who told me that their flagship beer, which uses one particular variety, had a poor harvest um, yield and the hops didn't possess the same sort of quality that they had in previous years. So in the end, they had to supplement 
with other breeds and you know through trial and error and customers complained as you can imagine oh it doesn't taste the same and that, now that's a very real challenge for brewers especially the ones trying to replicate the same core beers again and again which can make up most of their annual revenue and they can't afford to tick the customers off what should a brewer do if they're thrust into that situation because of climate change and forces that are well beyond their control I, I think it's important to to phone up your merchant or, or the farmer who you deal with fight as early as possible and the farmer will begin to form a view in in august of a particular year before harvest what that year's crop will look like and that will give you a lot of notice so farmers around here knew back in august 18 the crop was going to look pretty light hmm. 2017 though so this is for hops which a brewer would use in 2019 would be using now 2017 was a bumper year and so if you're storing your hops carefully if your merchant's storing your hops carefully you could carry on perhaps with a slightly higher hopping rate maybe you could do some substitution so goldings and progress might substitute quite well i guess challenges emerge for for more unique hops so galaxy Fuggle, Amarillo, um, ones which are, are much harder to find direct substitutes for. Yeah. I mean, how, how should brewers be best storing their hops? I mean, obviously, growers and merchants nitrogen flush and vacuum pack the hops. But once they're at the brewery and they're open and all that aroma sort of escapes into the atmosphere and all that oxygen is getting in, if a brewer's had a pack open for a while and all those skunky oxidised hops make their way into the beer, well, <laughs> it's not going to, you know, what, <laughs> what goes in is what you get out. And some varieties obviously store better than others. So to get the maximum sort of yield out of particular hops, uh, particularly ones that they might not use very often, what should a brewer be doing? What sort of practices? Yeah, and I think freshness is becoming increasingly important and, and customers are getting more aware of of, of off flavors and getting higher expectations. So what I would advise is that you, you above all temperature counts. So mm. between the hops arriving, between the courier dropping them off and you using them in the brew, whether the bag's sealed or unsealed, it should be in a fridge or, or preferably a freezer. And then if you're only gonna use part of a bag, you should cut a hole that's not too big and then you can buy a cheap, 20 quid um, vacuum packing clamp, looks a bit like a hair clip or something. Yeah. And it's a 10 second job, you, you just uh, seal it back up, stick it in the freezer. And okay, a bit of oxygen will have got in, but it'll mean that the oxygen doesn't keep com coming in and out. And I'd say that's the best way to store your hops. You can also consider what pack size you get. You can get hops and anything from one kilo up to 20 kilos now. And so that gives you quite a good range, unless you're a real micro brewer, to, to use a whole bag at once. Yeah. Well, I, I noticed that on your website, actually, because one of the questions I got asked recently when I was visiting another brewery was, um, you know, I've, I've got these five kilo bags of, you know, Sriracha Ace or whatever it was, but, um, you know, I only used it once in, in one beer. I wish, you know, I wish I could get them in one kilo. So is, is that something that you guys offer? Yeah. So we saw there was a gap in the market for that, the way people are blending hops right now. Even if you're going for quite a high hopping rate, you might only have a little bit of, of Citra, a little bit of Amarillo. You might only be able to get 20 kilos of, of Galaxy and that's going to last you a whole year. Hmm. So you're you're best off breaking open one one kilo bag every fortnight rather than trying to get five kilos to, to last you a couple of months. Yeah. 
you want to go full hog, you can uh, buy a whole nitrogen flushing machine, but a decent <laughs> one costs you five grand plus. So uh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, maybe not exactly. Um, what would you say the main advantages are and disadvantages between whole cone hops and T90s? I think T90s are quite a lot easier to handle, and that's actually both for us and and for the brewer. It means that. From what I understand, I'm not a brewer, I'm a hop farmer, but from what I understand, it makes the brewing process a lot easier. You don't have to climb in and um, <laughs> yeah. sweep out all that. Uh, all all that. Also, the, the way I think about it, um, the big enemy of hops, like the big enemy of beer, is oxygen. Now, by pelletizing your hops, you are smashing up the lupulin glands and you're giving oxygen a good chance to get into those pellets. Mm. So it does cause a bit of damage in the short term. However, the pellet is then that closed up and sealed and flushed and frozen that it will last a lot longer from that slightly lower initial point. Okay. Um, that There is another argument, I suppose, Sierra Nevada, who we mentioned earlier, or or I'd say most brewers of traditional cask-conditioned English ale would say that there's something in a whole cone. There's a certain unique something which doesn't translate through the heat of pelletizing. It's perhaps some of them more volatile oils don't survive the pelletizing process. And so I think for certain beer styles, perhaps whole cone is better. Right, okay. Now, yesterday, at the time of recording this, the UK government voted against Theresa May's Brexit deal, sort of casting even more uncertainty on the nation's, <laughs> on the nation's future, as, as if there wasn't enough already. Um, what impact do you think Brexit will have on UK brewers, particularly from a hot purchasing perspective? Um, well, a no deal could be pretty awful. Um, if we go to WTO tariff rates, I was trying to look this up the other day, and it's very hard to figure out. We can import American hops, which I'd say is the key market for most um, UK craft brewers. Mm. We can import American hops for a fairly low tariff. It's unclear what, what will happen shortly after a no-deal Brexit. It, if Brexit goes through, it will also cause problems for hop farmers in the UK because we, we are quite dependent on... Uh, migrant labor at right. certain times of year. Now, this isn't just a UK problem. There is the same in America. The Yakima Valley is totally dependent on, on uh, Central American labor. And the Germans also use um, Slovenian, Romanian, Bulgarian workers. And a lot of it is just because hop farming is a bit like large scale gardening. You can't just drive into a big hop field with a big tractor and automate every task. Mm. You've got to have people there on the ground. And access to labor is something that does keep a lot of horticultural farmers, including hop farmers, you know, keep them awake at night in the UK. There will be other parts of craft beer, like there are people from all sorts of different nationalities who are currently working in craft breweries up and down the country. And then there are other parts of the supply chain which might not appear to you, like the delivery men, we're, we're totally dependent on uh, migrant labour in all parts of the economy and so craft beer will be affected more directly as part of that. Yeah. I mean, there's such a demand for hops like Citra, Mosaic and Simcoe, um, which is driven by consumer demand for IPAs and pale hoppy beers. I mean, where, where do you see British varieties in the beer industry? 
Yeah, I think like like you mentioned on your your program on on malt a couple of weeks ago that there have been it is difficult for British brewers who will go into their local tap room and they'll encourage the the staff there to take a local beer. Mm. But then a lot of those brewers, you know, will will go back and they'll laugh about twigs and moss and English hop flavors. <laughs> and um, I guess the breeding program um, has historically not concentrated on flavors, perhaps as much as it should have done. I think. Um, but having said that, you are getting brewers. I, I don't know him, but I think it's Justin who runs more beer. Yeah. Some of his back to the empire beers show that you can get very good flavors out of english hops and i think charles fairham's deserves a lot of respect for having invested heavily in hop breeding program and hopefully jester and jester's daughters will will create some good flavors so how was brewers best place to experiment with british hops so i mean i brewed a um english ipa i think it was sort of earlier last year um using jester olicana and ernest and, you know, p- people at the bar, they see the IPA acronym and expect a particular type of flavour. But when it doesn't meet their expectations, because you get that more sort of well-rounded kind of earthy hoppiness rather than the really aggressive citrusy hoppiness, you know, they, they can almost feel a bit put out because they've already got that expectation in their head. So like, if for, for people sort of blending these sort of new English hops, like, you know, what approach should they take? Um, I'm a... A hop farmer rather than a brewer right. and so we work closely with uh, a guy who's quite well known in the industry johnny bright who who has a bottle shop in hereford yeah he is a brewer and um so i i guess i'd have to defer to him i think are you going to get a flake you know like a verdant putty using english hop varieties unfortunately you're, pr- you're probably not so Part of it is educating customers um, and encouraging them. I I sort of feel like uh, IPA or double IPAs are like the entry drug into the wider world of beer. (laughs) So people will drink, you know, they'll have grown up, they might drink lager, they might have a bit of bitter occasionally, and then they have their first IPA and they're like, wow. And then they'll go on to double IPA, they'll keep progressing through up to 25 grams a liter of hops and then their 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 approach might broaden half of english hops now half of the crop of fuggles and goldings goes over to america and is exported to make cast conditioned beers over there <laughs> yeah so we're seeing more and more popularity of that kind of of drinkable more well-rounded beer there and i think you know t- times are cyclical we're, we're not all going to go back to drinking timmy taylor's but timmy taylor's will be part of a range of of different beers it's so interesting with the states um you know because like they have like tapping parties you know for the cask beer you know they'll have some casks lined up and they all want to see it vented and all the rest of it and queuing up for it you know and over here you have to drag people to the pub these days (laughs) yeah Um, do you ever envisage a time when hops that are grown in the uk have sort of similar levels of pungency um to their american counterparts even if it's a different type of you know flavor i I think it's becoming more and more of a focus of the british breeding programs i think we'll also see more the three varieties you mentioned mosaic citra and simcoe are all proprietary but the the patents 
which protect the plant breeding rights are gradually going to fade away. Mm. So I expect to see some of those crops, some of their successors being grown over here, just like English farmers are growing Cascade and, and Chinook now. But I, I think um, historically, the you know, I wasn't involved in hot breeding, but a lot of it's been done for disease control to make life easier for the farmers. And actually, we should have started focusing 10, 15 years ago on these punchy flavors. It takes 10 or 15 years to develop a oh, wow. new red hot variety. And so um, I, I think they will emerge. The British Hop Association has um, a breeding program, which is supported, I think, by the Institute of Brewing and Distilling as yeah, well. Okay. And so over time, they will emerge. Is citru- is a new Citra going to appear next year? Probably not. But if any yeah. of your listeners want to try um, brewing something with Sussex or, or Ernest, do, do get in touch. Or I'm sure Ferrums has stocks of uh, Duster and Olicana. Yeah. I'm sure when everything's gone full circle and Britain's looking to rejoin the EU in 10 or 15 years' time, we can look forward to some of those, you know, proper English IPAs. That. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, coming back to the basics of brewing science, when, when a brewer is looking to choose a hot variety, what, what should they be looking for? I mean, I know we all think about alpha acid content and flavour profile, but are there, are there any other factors that a brewer should be considering when it's when they're looking to sort of choose hops and blend them and... I think continuity of supply is quite important. So if you're a brewer which, you know, perhaps like Cloudwater, just um, does seasonals or doesn't have a, a key core range um, and you manage to get 30 kilos of Galaxy or 100 kilos of Nelson Savan, then that's fine. You can do a one-off brew. But if you're going to have drinkers who want to keep going back to the same had to have the same core range for your customers you, you need to think about hop varieties which you're always going to get through thick or thin and i think the situation with american hops is much better now than it was three or four years ago when there were big shortages but um i guess that's one factor and I, i'd also encourage um brewers to get to know who's growing those those hops because you might order goldings uh from a merchant they might come from a particular farm you might the next year you might order another supply of goldings it'll have come from the other end of the country with a farmer who has very different growing practices and there might be quite a bit of difference in that not due to to the weather or the season but but just because of the land that the uh, and the habits the the growing techniques used by that that particular farmer yeah and I, I think this has changed a lot in america recently brewers used to buy all their hops um through big merchants and then yakima chief came along and, and shook things up and they're a very far they spend a lot of time trying to get farmers and brewers communicating and it, it also helps the the farmers to understand what's going on to to start thinking about punchier aromas to start thinking about how they kill the hops to make sure that they're they're growing hops for the best possible flavor and best possible aroma rather than j- just how they look or or what yield they might get at the end of the day yeah so i mean talk us through that process then of of from when you're breeding a hop to it sort of ending up at the brewery what exactly is entailed in hop farming so 
the hop farming process, you start off with a bare field. You buy all hops are identical sisters, effectively. Right. So you can't just grow them from seed because every seed would be have different characteristics. You have to clone. So the Fuggles crop was found over 100 years ago in the hedge by Mr. Fuggle and Golding similar. And all Fuggles that have been grown since then are clones which have been uh, propagated on from those individual hops. So a farmer then gets the clones from a merchant and plants them out in a, a field. You then have to spend a lot of time and effort building a big structure called the trellis which goes over the hops and the trellis provides support for the hops to grow up hops can't support themselves like trees can they're more like uh, runner beans so they grow up a string which the farmer will thread every spring sort of march april mm. and the hops emerge from the ground in late april early may and they grow up the string four or five feet four or five meters high and then over the season the hops will fill out and eventually they form the cones in august and then their their hop cones their hop cones on the binds on the hop plants for about four weeks before harvest different varieties mature for harvest at different times and then on top of all the infrastructure you need for the trellis you also need quite a big complex setup for the hop picking and hop hop drying so when it, when it comes to picking time um it's just all hands on deck picking every last hop off yeah then... it's it's absolutely chaotic it's as if you've got your brewery and it's uh you know you might have a 20 barrel brewery and you have to brew all of your beer for the whole year coming up <laughs> between the 1st of September when your first hops are ready and about the 25th of September when your hops are going past it. So you're just in there, you've got all this capital tied up and you can only use it for that three or four weeks of the year. So we work in Yakima, they they run the picking facilities 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're not quite that brave. We just do the one shift, but it's about 14 hours, pretty nonstop and no one gets much sleep but um it's extraordinarily good fun and i'd advise anyone quite a few of your listeners have probably been on the Ferrum's hop walk some of the smells and the hustle and bustle you get on a hop farm are you know really worth worth the visit down to kent or to herefordshire or or i'm sure some of your listeners go and do selection out in uh, out in yakima yeah so for your employees then when you know they're looking out for the hops on the vine like how you know do they go through sort of extensive training of like well you know this one's ripe to pick but this one isn't and you know like what what is it they're looking for exactly to make sure that the right ones are picked at the right time it's part art part science so we um we go out every few days during hop harvest we're growing 12 different hop yards here um, and we take uh, dry matter samples. So the hops are gradually drying out in different varieties. You know that you should be harvesting when the dry matter is at a certain percentage, but it's also fairly qualitative. So you, you go out there and you give the hops a good rub and a sniff on your hands and, and you can tell when they're ready to pick, partly from the smell. Mm. Um, 
another big challenge. They say you, you can get your crop to a to a great condition, but you, you're picking it in the field and it's maybe 75, 80% moisture. Uh, it's got a consistency, I, d I don't know, a bit like uh, like lettuce or something, I suppose. It's a very wet, heavy yeah, object. Yeah, they're quite fun to hold, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, and they have a, a lovely texture at that stage. But then we bring them back into the, the picking machine in the kiln and we've got to get, you know, three quarters of that weight out. So we dry them down to 10%, which is kind of depressing. You might pick a ton of hops and then you've only got uh, 250 kilos at, at the end of the day. <laughs> but um, that that's critical for storage. And if you overdry your hops down to 6 or 7%, you make the cones too brittle. And that means that the, the physical structure of the cone can't protect the lupulin glands. The glands get ruptured and they oxidize. Mm. You'll also drive off some of the more volatile oils, which brewers want. If you underdry your hops um, down to say fourteen or fifteen percent, then they'll form a sort of compost and they'll start biodegrading. Microbial action in the hops will that they're, they're literally compost. So a hop bale, which might be worth five or six hundred pounds. Two weeks later, you come back to it. It smells pretty foul and is worth nothing. Wow. Uh, and that's a very, very difficult process. And the Germans have got their systems. The Americans have got their systems. And there's a lot of pressure, not not just to put the work in, but to do the work right during during hop harvest. Gosh, it, it, it all sounds quite intense. I mean, it's you know that's that's a lot of money to be losing. You know, a landlord might be complaining that oh, I spent. 65 pound on that firkin and i had to throw a quarter of it away or whatever you know where it's kind of like <laughs> if you get it wrong with yeah you know, i mean I'm, I'm not gonna pretend we've got all the answers we um the, the germans have a very advanced hot drying system which we think probably preserves more aroma so we invested in that system here at this farm i, I think it's probably the first one in the uk and we didn't get it quite right so we had to destroy about fifteen thousand pounds worth of crop wow. because we Gosh. we were not prepared. I think we probably could have sold it, but we were not prepared to put it into the marketplace. We we've got to build a brand. Yeah. And it, it wouldn't be right to dump those on a brewer. It's a bit like uh, I guess when a brewery makes a big boo boo and um has to has to drain pour, but but it's a trade off between between your customers, your reputation and cash. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would imagine most of the listeners have been there. I've I've been there. I've had to dump beer, which has been subpar because your your brand is worth a lot more than you know the the beer that's in the tank. That's that's awful. You know, doesn't meet the the quality you expect it to be, and it's such a quality led market um, these days that you know that the the smallest thing to damage your reputation can just the implications can be massive for years to come. And it's not just bad financially, but some of the guys on the team here had been literally up all night in the weeks building up to hop harvest, making sure the crop was in the best possible condition. And yeah, it's dreadful, but I think um, I, I hope we made the right decision. We'll yeah. see. So how, how does it feel as a farmer when, you know, you, you go through a patch of good weather, it's all looking great, and then you see the weather report and it's like, you know, some killer storm is coming in from the Atlantic. And then before you know it, 
like half of your crops wiped out or whatever it is you know like uh, have you been in that situation and or do you know anyone who's been in that situation what's what's it like how does that feel fortunately uh, i've not been in that situation myself yet i i know quite a few farmers it happens a lot in germany where the hallertau the hop growing region there yep. is is just north of munich um and they're Climate is such that they get a lot of hailstorms and thunderstorms during August. And if you imagine a hop yard, uh, 10 acres or so, so that's about 10 football pitches. You've got hops, each of which weigh 10 kilos or so, up four or five meters high. They they just get caught by the wind and the hail smashes them. And you can get a whole hop yard. So that's Mm, anything from 50 to 100 grams worth of hops can just go over and so the whole trellis four meters high will fall on the ground and there's pretty well no way to harvest those hops that they'll be down in the mud you can't get them through your picking machine and one of the guys actually who built our kiln who who flew over from the halatau was an ex-hop farmer Mm. and the reason he's an ex-hop farmer is because a hailstorm took his hops out back in 1997 or something and so you just got to feel sorry for these guys. And, and a lot of these are risks you can't insure against either. Gosh, yeah. I guess it's just the forces of nature, isn't it? Just going back to brewing, how should a brewery approach a hop contract? I mean, would you recommend it for all breweries or do you think some particularly smaller outfits might struggle to meet the obligation and contractual agreement if they overcommit themselves? I suppose on the other hand, it's it's hard for smaller brewers to obtain certain varieties on the spot market. So, you know, where should people find that balance? It's always better for, for a hop farmer, for hop farmers, if uh, brewers can contract. And that's because putting in a hop yard is, is a long-term commitment. We can't react to, to changes in demand really quickly because it, it's a plant which takes two or three years to hit full production. And we have to invest a lot in capital to build the trellis to grow that hop. Um, so it's not worth it unless we as as growers can get four or five year contracts either with brewers or, or with merchants. Um, having said that, I think it was much easier for brewers to contract when there were maybe, I don't know, 20 family owned regional breweries in the UK. They knew pretty well exactly how much beer they'd produce in a particular year. There were only two hop varieties, Fuggles and Goldings. And the the hopping rates didn't change much either. Now, you don't know how much revenue you're going to pull in. You don't know whether you'll be able to afford the hops. You don't know whether a particular recipe or collab might uh, take off and suddenly you need to increase your orders. And so if there's certain hops that you know you always use, like, uh, I guess, Citra or or Cascade, you should should look to contract your, your, your base of those. And then... If you're prepared to take a bit of a risk, you should be able to buy a lot of those, particularly now. Now the market's loosened up a bit on the spot market. Mm. Now you mentioned earlier about doing the hot walk. Um, I mean, why, why would you encourage brewers to come on that? Because I know a lot of people out there brewing beer, you know, it's it's like a full-time job and then some, you know, so to, to take a day or so out of your, your busy schedule to be going and picking hops and rubbing them and seeing it, you know, can feel like quite a big time commitment and even a financial commitment for traveling but um obviously it's important like what 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 encouragement would you offer for people coming out to see the farm well we don't do a hop walk as such here at brookhouse farm i I know um some of the other merchants will take you out but 
we have a, a glamping business here and what we find if you're a you know a reasonable sized brewery and you're buying english hops is that there's a big difference between goldings which are picked when they're they're fresh at the start of the goldings picking window and goldings which are picked maybe when the the color's gone a little bit browner but you're getting slightly more more earthy stronger flavors and so we invite the the head brewer of quite a few of the uk regional breweries they come and stay in a tree house here in the farm mm. in september take them out for supper and the next day we cut open some bales with them and we can make sure that they're getting the actual goldings which will suit the beer that they're making um best and it also means that the team here that they they work really hard they get to see the end user of those hops and when you it, it, it's fantastic for the guys morale to to see that see that happen and we we also get the brewers talking to the the hop manager and he will understand what that particular brewer wants we can allocate a particular area of a yard so they're getting the same hot plants growing up the same rows in the same beer year after year wow amazing um, where do you see the beer industry going over the next few years yeah i think it'll be very interesting for us as um growers of uk varieties i suppose we export a fair bit but we also are building relations with a lot of the uk regionals um and we're seeing more and more that it's not just craft brewers it's not just um new wave brewers who are brewing more with citrus simcoe mosaic we're seeing a lot of the family-owned breweries using those hops in their seasonal beers and so i guess that's a trend if the trend goes too far it gets bad for british hop farmers mm -hmm. but but it's good that people are thinking about hops more and they're more aware of what's going into their beer i think in the US, craft has become a bit too, has perhaps gone too far, and volume growth has slowed from sort of mid to high teen per year down to single digit. The UK still seems to be growing very healthily. The rest of Europe, it, it's at an even earlier stage in that growth curve, and so we shall have to see. What we're also seeing in the States is that the, um, I think you touched on this. It, on a previous show that um, InBev has got such a big stable of craft breweries now mm. that you can go to a bar and you can see 10 different tap handles and they're all, you know, Elysian, Goose Island, etc. They're all owned effectively by the same brewery. Is, is that going to happen here in the UK? We shall see. I think there's probably a bit more of a pirate rebel attitude in the uk so yeah, i hope sure. there won't be too many sellouts but um money talks yeah, yeah. definitely bro well, thanks for joining us on the podcast today will i mean it's been really fascinating finding out perspective from a hop farmer i, th I think you know hops seems like the star of the show particularly over the last i don't know 10 5 10 years um you know so it's really fascinating to find out about um, hops from somebody that's actually growing them and, and farming them. Um, how can people find out more about Brookhouse hops and where can they purchase your hops? So yeah, if, if you go on Google, we you'll find our website. We've tried to make it as uh, as seamless as possible, so you can go on buy hops um, just with a credit or debit card. Our stocks, we've got 2018 crop 
UK hops for sale now as pellets or whole cone. We will have um, US stock in in the next, uh, I'm going to say a month. It's been a week away for too long now. We're, we're having problems with customs. And then we'll also be at BRX in March. So if you're in Ciba or you're not in Ciba, do just, just swing by our stand. Great. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to be there myself. So uh, hopefully, hopefully I'll see you there. Great. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Ford Podcast this week. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, follow us on social media at Hot Ford Beers and visit our website hotford.beer for more articles, insights and a range of services aimed at helping you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Until next time, cheers. Right,